This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And good afternoon. Welcome in on this Wednesday, August the 9th, the BearCast on Sikkim365.com and YouTube. Hope you're having a good one. And uh, thank you for being with us for the next hour, hopefully the entire hour, as we take you through all of the stories going on with Baylor Athletics. And that includes a bit of conference realignment uh, these past few days that we'll dive into to start things off. But I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim 365 radio host, also writer, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting for Sikkim 365, Garrett Ross behind the scenes producing as well, and we'll get into the new schools that are going to be joining the Big 12 here in the next year, but uh, first things first, Grayson, a little bit of stories, uh, finally getting some finalization as fall camp also starts up at the same time, so pretty busy last few days here. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm just really happy that we're going into fall camp and not having to talk as much about realignment, right? Really get to talk about football. And I know this whole summer and really this whole year has been flooded with realignment and talking about it and predicting what's going to happen and hearing stories from multiple people. It felt like every single day. And now we get an opportunity to just talk about football. And I think that's really cool. I think what the Big 12 did was great for the conference and something that it is huge and definitely worth noting, uh, but also I think it's nice that we get to get back to the football side of things. Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, getting everything secured last week, at least as far as one chapter goes, was huge so that we can do exactly as you said and turn our focus towards football, but we do need to put a bow on what happened last week, so let's start off with that and then turn our attention towards the game itself. Uh, Colorado, uh, since I went on vacation last week uh, after we had done – Whatever my last recording was, uh, Colorado joined the conference a couple of days later and got the ball rolling. They were the first domino to drop, and there was some scuttlebutt about who would follow because you obviously weren't going to stay at 13 teams. You had people suggesting that it was going to be a basketball member or it was going to be you know, UConn or whatever the case may be. I thought that UConn as a 14th would have been a just a fart in church, honestly. Yeah. Like, it would have been... <laughs> Total Just a wah, wah. Yeah. Um, So for me, and based on what Mac Rhodes said yesterday, and I think a lot of other people felt this way, it needed to be another, you know, Power Five type school. So it was Colorado, and then question mark, and then certainly uh, everything ramped up in a major way, and it resulted in, you know, the culmination last week of a lot of months of drama and pressure as Arizona, Arizona State. And also Utah uh, made it known that they would be joining the Big 12 starting next season. So all four corner schools now officially will be leaving the pack and going to the Big 12. That also was, of course, um, you know, in part uh, able to be done because of the move of Oregon and Washington to the Big 10. So without that, this probably doesn't happen. Colorado was happening regardless. They were coming back. I think Arizona was happening To the Big 12, and Arizona might have been as well, but Arizona State and Utah certainly almost forced by the Oregon-Washington move. So there you have it. Next year, uh, this upcoming season here in less than a month, we'll have you know BYU and Houston and 
UCF and Cincinnati joining in the next year, the four Pac-12 schools. And who the heck knows between now and then, but the Big 12 is going to be a 16-team conference starting next season. And just what are your thoughts now that we're here, the four corners are are headed to the Big 12? Right. So I'll start with my thoughts just in general because there actually is a side effect from this that will leak into Baylor's schedule next year because they were supposed to play Utah. So we'll get into that as well, have a quick note on that. But As far as this happening, I I really felt like once they got Colorado, to me it was all about getting Arizona. I didn't really care if they got more than that. It just was they needed to get to 16 or to 14 teams. They needed to get Arizona in my eyes is kind of where I was at. And then the Oregon-Washington thing happens, and you're just like, okay, well, now they're completely done. Uh, Utah, Arizona State have no other option here except to move to the Big 12. And, you know, I I did feel like it was kind of ridiculous, some of the statements we were hearing, especially from Arizona State's, you know, leadership. Um, It's like they felt like they were almost – it felt like they felt like they were too good for the Big 12. And it's like, dude, where were you going to go if it wasn't the Big 12? You're going to go to the Mountain West. Like – How can you not be grateful and thankful for this opportunity? That was absolutely absurd to me. Um, Utah, I felt like, was more of just this this undying loyalty to the Pac-12 that they felt so accomplished to get there, and now they're moving, quote-unquote, too soon, I guess it feels like. They just felt like kind of one of those schools that really tried to keep everyone together, whereas Arizona State just felt like one that just wanted to have a bad take just because they wanted to have a bad take. They just wanted to, like, kind of... I don't know, bring the Big 12 down for no reason because now they're in the Big 12. So in general, great day for the conference. It definitely adds stability. It adds revenue. It adds, I think, four quality schools that actually fit the culture of the Big 12. And I think, you know, in general, the Big 12 is in a much better place now um, than they were. It's pretty crazy to think a year ago they could have been, you know, completely lost to the Pac-12. So crazy shift in things. Now, I did want to mention one scheduling note. Baylor's supposed to play Utah next year. And that game will no longer happen in the non-conference, obviously. Um, So now they're going to have to replace this. And I heard a lot of people saying, okay, what Power 5 school are they going to get? You have to have a Power 5 school on your schedule. But that's not necessarily true. There was actually a precedent set this year by Oklahoma because they lost the Georgia game that they were supposed to play this year. So they ended up scheduling three non-Power 5 games, which, again, kind of opens up the pool a little bit for who Baylor could add to their schedule, whether it's a Power 5 or a group of five team. But, yeah, either way, the schedule will be changed. I believe they play Texas State and Air Force next year, and then they were supposed to play Utah. I think it's something along those lines. I'll check it, but I just wanted to add that note in there because I know we'll get a question on, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's they're not going to, you know... I guess probably waste too much time and energy trying to figure out some grand solution. It's really just simple. Like, yeah, you're just going to have to go find somebody else and we'll give you a waiver. Um, I think there's an exception that can be made. Like you said, the OU Georgia comparison with all this realignment going on, you're going to have to have some exceptions somewhere because not everybody's just going to be able to fill their schedule on a moment's notice, you know, less than a year out or whatever, or a little over a year out. So yeah, that Utah uh, return trip uh, as part of the home and home will now actually be, a conference game next year. So that's very interesting. So this upcoming meeting at McLean in week two, uh, here in what, about a month from now, uh, or a little over a month from now, will be the one, uh, you know, one-off between these two where it's a non-conference game. And then next year, uh, the return trip to Salt Lake City, uh, a Big 12 game. So who could have imagined when they originally scheduled that, that that's how it would work out. But that's the world we're living in, and that's how it worked out. So the Utes uh, are now going to be a, a 
you know, a really, I think, tough Big 12 team near the top most years, uh, so long as Kyle Whittingham's there, and uh, who knows how long that will be, but so long as he is, they're going to be really good back-to-back Pac-12 champions, and uh, I'd expect they're going to have one of the better transitions to the league uh, when that time comes. Yeah, and I bet that game still ends up on the schedule, by the way. Like, I bet what? I bet that when the Big 12 schedule is made for next year, that Baylor's going to have to play Oh, yeah, it'd be stupid not would, to, yeah. I would just bet that that's going to happen. But as far as non-conference goes, Baylor has Tarleton State and Air Force here at McLean Stadium. So there's a chance that they go out and find another home game, and they get three home games to start the season, which would be really nice. But I agree with you. Utah, very good football program. I mean, they're... Their stability is the thing that stands out, their consistency with Whittingham. And now you got Whittingham and Mike Gundy in the same conference, which is cool because those guys have been there for a really long time at their respective schools. But, yeah, Whittingham, great coach. Uh, tons of respect for him. It's going to be fun to watch them play Baylor this year. So uh, there you have it, the Utes and the Sun Devils and the Buffaloes and the Wildcats uh, all joining the Big 12, making that official last week. Uh, Colorado, congrats to them for being the first off the – you know, the, the ship that appeared to be sinking, but they, you know, left when it was just taking on a little bit of water. Uh, the other three waited around, and, you know, rightfully so. They were loyal, and uh, as we talked to Mac Rhodes yesterday, he said he appreciated their loyalty. He understood that it, it took them to the very end uh, to make their choice, but he's glad that they made the choice that they did, and he obviously played a huge role in all of that taking place. So now you're like, what's next? Um, I think now it sort of rests for a little while. I know there's a lot of noise elsewhere, but for the Big 12, I think they're going to sit back, enjoy their their bounty, and, uh, you know, if something comes their way, then great. But I don't think they're going to be on the hunt trying to, let's go get basketball. And let's, I, there's not very much money going around after all the things that have taken yeah. place, uh, according to Mac Rhodes. So sounds like it could just settle down a little bit and that's great because football is here and the actual games are why we're all fans of this you know whole industry to begin with um i know that i would not be rooting for athletic departments or anything like that or realignment if i didn't care greatly about college football uh first and foremost much less you know the other sports that people love so much but uh the college football side of college football is actually here now and fall camp has opened up and you know one thing that we learned in regards to baylor was there's already been a roster note to make mention of so let's start there and then we'll get into some of your observations I haven't been in any practice I was on vacation last week so uh, I'll make it my way to my first practice probably today and uh, you know just be able to be out there I know that you've been out there already a little bit Um, but one thing that uh, was noticed as people you know got the new roster updates and uh, saw the team take the field was that running back Quaylen Jones was no longer anywhere to be found and he, of course, played a pretty significant role last year as they dealt with running back injuries. He had to play a lot more than originally expected. Uh, was a really good blocker for them. A tough runner. Uh, wasn't a consistently great runner by any means, but he was a guy who you know had his moments here and there um, and was expected to you know play a, a relatively significant role this year. He wasn't going to be the starting running back by any means. Wasn't going to be probably a top or wasn't going to be a, a top two carries guy on the team, but. He had a role that he could help fill, and uh, now they'll look to others to to fill whatever role that was going to be because he's no longer on the team. And uh, I know there's various discussions as to why or whatever. I haven't even dove into that really because, like I said, I was on vacation. Uh, but just your thoughts on the surface of Quaylen Jones not being on the roster any longer. Yeah, so to be clear, it is a suspension. So he's suspended for the year. Um, but I do believe, I know Colt reported this on our on the website, that he would still be trying to graduate 
at Baylor this year. But he's done with football. Done with football. Yeah. yeah, so the football part. But I do think it does bring up the question of um, scholarship. And if he is still going to be not on the football team, but he he could still be taking up the scholarship right as he graduates. I think that's a possibility that I don't think many people have talked about. But, yeah, I think in general, as far as the starting rotation goes, this is not a big loss for Baylor in my eyes. You know, Quaylen had moments last year. Um Certainly flashed in the passing game, made some key catches. He's a good pass blocker. Um, ran the ball okay. I don't think he's a natural fit for the wide zone scheme. I think we saw that last year. Um, but he did serve his purpose last year and probably would have had a role this year uh, in a backup role. The where, the part where this gets scary is if they do sustain an injury to either of their top two running backs, you're sitting there with Bryson Washington, who I think is very, very good and more than capable of you know playing a heavy workload. But you're counting on him as a true freshman to be that next guy. And then you have a lot. I think we all have a lot of questions about Jordan Jenkins at this point in his career. And then Dawson Pendergrass, who is a true freshman, and he just arrived this summer. Um, so the depth is really where I have you know a little bit more concerns, not so much the starters or anything like that. So they're going to have to adjust. I think you know it's sad to see this from Quaylen. He's been around for such a long time. And I think that's the bigger part of this story is just you know, a senior, a leader, a guy who's been around the program for so long, finally found a role last year, and now just like that, it's gone. So that that's the hardest part for me. Yeah, I think uh, it puts him in a little bit of a pickle. Uh, we saw how quickly injuries can erode your depth chart last year. We saw Tay McWilliams gets hurt right out of the gates, and they were never the same after that. Uh, Richard Reese had a great year and got some cool accolades as a freshman, but he put probably way too many carries on his body for a freshman, at least more than they ever expected him to because of the uh, injury to Tay McWilliams. So now uh, a pretty reliable guy uh, who can, you know, fill in at some spots for you, uh, in some spots for you, uh, now no longer in the roster. So, yeah, you uh, hope for health, and I'm like you. I didn't think about it like, oh, man, the poor running back room or whatever. I thought, like, man, you came back for a final year, and, like, this is what happened? Like, really? So that's tough. And, uh, you know, like I said, don't know all of the – the, the details or anything like that, but that's just a, a rough way to end things when, you know, you were coming back for a big send-off. Uh, so, unfortunate and uh, part of life, and hopefully whatever needs to be taken care of or learned or whatever, uh, he's better for it in the long run, and uh, they're better for it, you know, getting this out of the way, and I guess it's been known for a little while on their end, and, you know, they've yeah. been preparing for it, so uh, they should be fine in the long run, but, yeah, just a unfortunate ending there. All right, so that's taken care of. Other than that, roster seems pretty much intact. I know there's still a couple of, what, waiting games going on for – uh, some of the transfers, what, uh, Johnny Carter, right? And is uh, is he the only one, or is there another? So, I guess we'll just start with the Johnny, since you, you brought him up. Utah State, cornerback prospect. Um, so, a lot of the rumors that everyone's looking at is August 11th is when this summer period ends for Utah State as far as the classes go. Um so my expectation is that sometime next week he'll be on campus. That's my expectation. These things can drag out a little bit. Transfers, it's, they don't make the process easy for transfers. And so I would expect next week, but if it's longer than that, then so be it. I Again, this is one of those situations where the Baylor staff knew it was going to take time for him to get on campus. He had to finish up some things with classes, but they also were fine with that and feel like he can come in and play a big role in their defense regardless of how long he's actually been at fall camp. Um, good news is he plays cornerback. 
you're asked to play a lot of press coverage at cornerback, it's not necessarily about the scheme as much, which is good. So I, I think he'll be okay. Um, but yeah, still waiting on him. The other one is Justin Sambu, the main defensive end transfer, uh, grad transfer. So he's an older guy, and he's going to be coming in, and he still has not practiced yet. But the good news is... Um, Per his Instagram, he was at Baylor yesterday. I reported that um, on Twitter and then, of course, on Sikkim365 Premium side as well. So I would expect him to be practicing as soon as he can. I mean, mean that we could see him out there today. Maybe it'll be this weekend. Um, But, yeah, I'm expecting him to be practicing soon. At least he is in Waco. Ajani is not yet in Waco. All right, so there's a couple of updates on... Some newcomers and their arrivals. Uh, Meanwhile, fall camp has started, and that was part of fall camp starting was getting to know who's here, who's uh, still waiting, and things like that. So I think we've cleaned that up a bit, and uh, that leads us to fall camp itself. Uh, You were out there a little bit. Like I said, I haven't made my way just yet. Uh, Just got back a couple days ago, and uh, now it's lining up where practice is today. So I think I'll I'll see it for the first time. But uh, your observations have been on the website uh, for those who are members, uh, now's as good a time as any. I think uh, the realignment thread is like a Hall of Fame thread at this yeah. point, and that's that's one that people are going to look back on at some point and just be like, wow, like all of this discussion and where it eventually mm-hmm. led. But there's also a lot of coverage of fall camp. Uh, you've been on that, and uh, just, I guess, what, what do you have to say? What do you want to get out there in terms of uh, camp and storylines or things you've taken away? Yeah, you know, I, I think that a lot of people want to hear the quarterbacks. And honestly, the the times that I've seen so far, there really hasn't been anything that has completely stood out. A lot of it is watching drills. They haven't had a full-on scrimmage or anything like that. They've done some, you know, some of those reps where you're, you know, doing live competition, but they haven't done a true scrimmage. I think they'll probably do that this weekend. Um but in general, you know, Blake Shapin, I think, has shown a little bit of that leadership. Um, that they wanted to see. I think you're seeing a guy that's very confident in his abilities going into fall camp. I think you're seeing Sora Robertson take a jump. He looks much more comfortable doing the things that they're asking him to do in this offense, Uh, specifically the play action. Uh, His footwork looks so much better than it did this spring, and that's a big thing for him. Uh, Dave Aranda mentioned it. I've mentioned it a ton on the board as well. He needed to make a jump in that area and need to become more comfortable in the offense. I think he's done that. Um, and then, of course, Blake Shapin, I think, has done that as well and continues to show signs that he's due for a big season. So, in general, very comfortable about the quarterback position. Um, a big part of that as well is because of Keetron Jackson, who I think people are probably tired of me mentioning this guy. Um, but... He is so talented, and he's going to do things that I don't think Baylor fans have seen from the receiver position since, honestly, Corey Coleman. And I know that might come as a surprise, but here's the thing that Corey did that the guys that we've seen in recent years didn't do. It's the yards after catch. It's the ability to throw the ball to a guy in a screen, and he goes 60 yards for a touchdown. That's something that Corey had the ability to do, and that's something that Keytron has the ability to do. He's great after the catch. He makes contested catches. He also can stretch the field. Uh, But the guys that they've had, you know, Tyquan Thornton, not really like that. Denzel Mims, not really like that. Um, You know, Jalen Hurd is probably the closest comparison, but Hurd was basically just a slot receiver. Uh, Keytron is, you can use him all over the place. So I'm very excited about him. I 
continue to think he's going to be an absolute alpha for this offense. And the more that I think about it, the more I think there's, you know, if Baylor has a really good year, he's probably going to end up being in the all-conference conversation. I, I think he's that good. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely been hyped up, and that was a big addition for them. So yeah. good to hear, but uh, need to see it, of course, as well. For sure. So moving over to the defensive line, I you know, the offensive line, there's position battles, but we'll, I think we'll solve that more in the future weeks. But on the defensive line, I thought it was really cool to see Trevin Maya, the Oregon transfer. Uh, he looks much closer to that 310-pound range. Um, big, big-bodied prospect. And a guy who I think, you know, he comes in, he's going to have to play some nose tackle while Baylor waits for uh, Jarrell Boykins and Trey Emery to get healthy. And he was probably going to play that regardless, but they really need him to fill that role early in the season and play a lot of snaps. And I think he does have the weight and size to actually do that now, which was a big concern for me uh, because he was listed at 296 pounds when he first got to Baylor. And now he's right in that 310-pound range. He was also listed at 276 at Oregon. So he's put on a ton of weight over the last year or so. Um, and then outside of that, it's really the young guys. You know, getting to see Brendan Bett, DK Kalu, Trent Thomas. Um, there's a lot of young guys who are very, very big and built extremely well in the defensive line, which means they're going to have a very, very bright future. Um, and then, yeah, you're just waiting on Justin Sambu uh, to arrive. And once he does, I think the defense line will be in a very good spot. I do want to mention Jackie Marshall has not been practicing um, so that's going to be something to monitor for uh, people who did not know that coming into the week. He has not been out there in the practices that I've seen. Uh, we'll see if he's out there today. But, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of news on the defensive line. Is that injury-related or do you know? I believe it's injury-related. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, um, I guess you got to start spotting injury jerseys and things like that and taking note of that, especially as we get closer because, you know, that's not always something, but – Sometimes it is, and sometimes there are guys just flat out missing. You have to track them down and see where they've been. So, okay, yeah. we'll try and see if Jackie Marshall's out there later on today. Uh, anything else from just fall camp? Um, I guess the Jack position, you know, seeing Garmin Randolph back out there, great to see a great, you know, just he didn't play in the spring, and now he's back for the fall. He looks ready to go. Um, very impressed by him, and he's a guy who, you know, you felt so bad when he wasn't out there in the spring, but you also felt like, hey, man, like, now's your time. Like, you're a redshirt senior. It's time for you to, you know, not just, you know, grow up, but also get to a point where you're really impacting the game on the field and having a career year. And I think Garmin is poised for that. I really, really do. And then Byron Vaughn's the Utah State transfer, you know, is pushing him as well. And I think you're going to see situations where both are on the field, um, but they both look really, really good. You got Garmin at 6'7", 251, who, I mean, his frame is so impressive. And then, you know, Vaughn's is 6'4", 238. Um, so a little bit thicker, but a little bit shorter, uh, but both very good pass rushers and guys who I, I think are going to be, you know, huge impacts. Uh, outside of them, I looked at the star position. Corey Gordon looks awesome. Uh, he moved to the star this spring. Um, I think he's going to be a very, very good player. And by the end of the year, I think we'll be talking about him quite a bit as a guy who's rising going into the 2024 season. He'll be splitting time with Bryson Jackson uh, at star as well, who actually showed some flashes of having good hands, which I know everyone's nervous about him in coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he showed me some things when I when I've seen it, seen him at practice. I was pretty impressed uh, by him. We know what he can do as a pass rusher, but coverage is where he's really going to have to. If he can figure it out, he'll be on the field a whole lot more than he would be otherwise. Um, quick note: Tayshawn Wilson was recruited as a cornerback. He's a four-star true freshman. He's actually playing star uh, to start fall camp. So. Quick note there, and then at corner. So what's the the depth there? It's Bryson Jackson, Corey Gordon, Corey Gordon, and Tayshaun Tayshaun Wilson. Wilson. That's it. They have a walk on too, but I'll just hope for health there. Yeah, because yeah, that could unravel pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, okay. Um, it's better than it was, but mm-hmm. it's yeah still still not uh, super deep by any stretch. No, but it it might be deeper than what they have at boundary and field though. You know, when you're you're out there, you go you got. Obviously, Devin Lemire, who's healthy now, he was out there practicing. You got uh, Al, you know Al, who is Al Allen, who I think is a, a good player. But behind them, it's like you got Romario Noel, who we haven't seen a lot of, um, and young guys, and that, that's pretty much it. It's safety and at cornerback, you feel a little bit better as far as depth, as far as guys you can name, guys who like we've seen play. Mm-hmm. But you still don't feel great about what they have. You know Johnny Carter's going to come in. And then you got Isaiah Dunson, Tevin Williams, and Chateau Reed. A mixture of Reggie Bush in there as well. So a lot of guys, but it's kind of more about who can really push to the top and really provide that upside. Uh, True freshman LeVar Thornton and Caden Jenkins looked really good at corner as well. Long, long guys, like 6'3", long arms, very impressive frames. Both are like right around that 170 mark, though. So it seems like they're still a little bit away from really, I I think, contributing for a full season. Uh, But yeah, in general, I've liked what I've seen. I I remain confident in this defense taking a big step forward. And, you know, seeing a lot of the freshmen out there was really cool. Yeah, always good to see the new guys, the new faces, see uh, how bodies have changed, uh, you know, and I don't pay particular attention to that, but, I mean, when you see a younger guy who's clearly put on, like, 15, 20 pounds mm-hmm. compared to when you, you know, originally saw them on campus or getting recruited or whatever, it's always just kind of cool to see that transformation. Um, and, yeah, they're going to, it sounds like, uh, need some guys to grow up pretty quickly. Uh, and that's part of my hesitation and thinking that they're just going to go crazy this year is there's still a lot of question marks uh, and yeah. far more than, than some other teams have at this point in time. So, um, you know, I think that uh, a lot a lot of their success will boil down to just how quickly guys can grow, how much better guys from last year actually got over the course of the offseason. And um, they're just going to have to be really sharp uh, week in and week out and, and you know, each phase uh, because I don't think they're going to out-talent a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a strategic type of team, but, you know, as much as I think Dave Aran is a great coach, how much better is he than every other coach in the yeah. league? You know, it's like you can strategize and beat people that way, but everybody else is kind of locked into the same stuff too. You're not going to throw a lot of surprises. So need to be disciplined. Uh, that was not the case last year. Need to be focused. That was not the case last year. Um, need to be talented, but not necessarily the most talented. I think that that was true last year, but, you know, we'll see a bit more about just how talented they are this year because mm-hmm. there, there are questions in that regard. Um, but the schedule's favorable, and just the lessons learned, you would think, uh, favor them as well. So um, still leads you to a point where there's a big old fat question mark at the end of the road, isn't there? For sure. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a really I – just, I just I can't wait because we've talked about it for so long, and I just truly – I've covered this team for over a decade now, and pretty much every year feel like I'm within reason of what they're going to be. I have no freaking clue of what they're <laughs> going to be like this year, truly, yeah. because they could be 6-6. Six and six. And I don't think anybody would be like, that's shocking. They could um, 
be fighting for a bowl game at the end, depending on how things unfold. Like, mm-hmm. that could be very explainable. Or they could just be a surprise and go win, like, nine games, I mean, for all we know. So there's not a really, you know, um, a heavy lean one way or the other, except for anything less than, you know, pretty reasonable success like not making a bowl game obviously would be just disastrous like that would be a disaster but everything else seems like it's up for grabs as far as the the win totals winning six or more games um you could you could pitch me a reason why they're going to win six or why they're going to win 10 and i Mm -hmm. i could believe it depending on how you deliver it i can see that as well i think you know i did this exercise with garrett and i just i feel very good about you know where baylor is at to get the over on their win total this year but outside of that you're right like Where's the ceiling for this team? You know, it could be a Big 12 championship. It really could be if everything comes together, if you win all your close games. But yeah, in general, you know, I feel okay about the floor of this team, actually, which I think might surprise some people. But the more I look at this schedule, the more I look at Baylor's roster, I do feel like they're going to be able to compete in pretty much every game they play this year. Yeah, so I'm excited to see them actually out there and uh, going to going to war uh, with uh, some different teams, and that'll all get started here in less than a month's time. So very much looking forward to that. And uh, as that rolls along, fall camp that is, uh, they're also in the midst of you know continuing to recruit and adding to their 24 and now 25 classes, doing both this past week. And uh, let's get into the commits that uh, joined the fray. Uh, you had kicker Connor Hawkins from Liberty Hill, uh, who gave his pledge to Baylor. Uh, not a lot of coverage, really, on kicker recruiting most of the time. And these things just kind of, as far as I've noticed over the years, just kind of pop up. And you're like, oh, yeah, they need a kicker. And so, cool, there's a kicker. Um, and so I was on vacation. I just saw the alert come up. And I was like, all right, cool, they added a kicker. Um, but Connor Hawkins from Liberty Hill, there's obviously a need there. And uh, he pulled the trigger. So uh, what are your thoughts on adding some special teams here? Right. So Baylor offered him uh, after a camp, I believe it was, kind of in, in June. And then after they offered, they continued to stay in contact with him and then eventually landed him. Um, he had some other offers, but really Baylor was his big offer. Um, most of the time, kickers don't end up with huge offer lists. It's just not usually how it works. They usually find their spot, and then that's pretty much it. And I think he did that with Baylor. He built a good relationship with Tyler Hancock and Ryan Pollard. Uh, He's the number 13-ranked kicker in the nation, according to Chris Saylor Kicking, which is by far the most accurate kicking rankings you can find and really the only kicking rankings. Outside say, of just, what, what other rankings are there? Well, I don't even know. 247 will throw in like a 79 like okay. an 80 yeah, like they'll, right, they'll just right. throw in some random ranking Chris Saylor actually you know watches these guys in person and all of those things so he saw him has him number 13 I, I trust his rankings and he was pretty good at Baylor camp he was 4-4 on kicks uh, during live field goal portion uh, at the camp in June and he also had some good kickoffs as well and had a long of 55 yards on field goals. So he did pretty good. They liked him. And obviously, this was a priority for the Baylor staff as they recruited Kyle Limmerman, who ended up committing to TCU and then eventually moved their focus to Connor Hawkins. So they clearly wanted to add a scholarship kicker in this class, and they did that with Connor Hawkins. So Connor Hawkins uh, into the fold, also coming down for the 2024 class this week. Comanche, Texas cornerback Kyler Beatty became pledge number 14 for the class. So Kyler Beatty of Comanche, six foot ish, 170, uh, and uh, doesn't have 
you know, a ton of offers or anything like that. So everybody's eyes immediately go to the offer list, which can be good and bad depending on, you know, the scenario. But uh, what do you know about Kyler Beatty and what does number 14 mean for this 2024 class? So this one was all about culture fit and measurables uh, for Baylor. So he visited in June and then he came back and visited in July. The July visit was a camp visit. So he went through testing, got his exact measurements, and after that, that's when Baylor offered him. Uh, so at Baylor camp, he posted a 4-4-7-40 time, uh, which was an electric 40 time, not a handheld. So pretty accurate 4-4-7. Uh, he also measured in at 6-1 and a quarter, uh, 180 pounds. So significantly bigger than 2-4-7 has him listed. He also has a 75-inch wingspan, and he runs a 10-700 meter in track. So again, very good athlete. You look at his film. He had 53 tackles, three interceptions, 10 pass breakups, a forced fumble. Uh, he plays both ways as well at Comanche. Uh, so I think he's a really good fit for what they want as a press corner uh, in coverage. He's got plenty of speed uh, to keep up on the outside and great size, which honestly, that's what they're looking for now at cornerback. They want elite size out there with Matthew Pallage, and he brings that. So he's a great fit. Um, they've been looking at a lot of cornerbacks, and so for them to take him immediately after offering him tells you they, they really, really liked him, especially once they got kind of all the information they needed, right? Yeah, no, the uh, size jumps off the page and um i think you uh, there's obviously a need there in the secondary so adding there doesn't seem like it's a bad thing at, at all so yeah um intriguing prospect to be sure and so there's a couple of commits for the 2024 class uh last week getting that total up to 14 now at this point and uh, still a little bit of a ways to go i mean you're looking at 20 is just an average ballpark figure so at least six more and probably more than that when all is said and done just because that's typically how it works with attrition and things like that meanwhile the 2025 class got uh, its second pledge and you're mentioning you know tcu and losing a battle here and there but uh you know, this appeared to be a pretty big win. Deshaun Bryant, offensive lineman from Duncanville, uh, 6'5", 250 pounds. Uh, he pledges to Baylor over the Frogs for the class of 2025, uh, becoming the second pledge along with quarterback Adam Schobel, who committed uh, a little less than two months ago. Uh, so, Deshaun Bryant, um, your thoughts on what this means and uh, what this means not only for just the, the immediate impact of it, but also for this class that they're now starting to build, uh, you know, and get a, get a ahead as best they can on the 25 class. So this is a huge one. This is one where, um, you know, I think that Deshaun has the potential to be one of, if not the best tackle in the state. Um, for his 2025 class. I think he is very, very special. Not many times do Duncanville guys go under the radar, but he is currently under the radar. That will absolutely change when the season comes around. This guy is going to have offers from everyone. Um, very, very good prospect. I remember I saw him at the very beginning of June. He came to a Baylor camp and put on a show. He was fantastic. Everything that I saw really stood out from pass protection to uh, going through the athleticism drills with Eric Mateos. I, he just looked like a complete prospect. And, you know, moving forward from that, you know, I followed him on Twitter and I saw, you know, I posted videos about him. He had like, I think it was like 37 followers. No one knew who this guy was. And now, you know, move forward, he got an offer from TCU. He came back to Baylor at the end of July competed at camp once again. Then he went to their junior day event 
and then he committed shortly after. So it's a huge get for Baylor. I think he is a fantastic prospect. And now, you know, Baylor basically has their quarterback and their left tackle for the 2025 class. That's a great spot to be in. And I have both of them rated as four-star prospects. I think that will bear out over time. So uh, going to be a battle. Uh, sounds yes. like already yeah. for him. So get your ducks in a row. Get your, your soldiers prepared and all that to, uh, to fend off a bunch of teams for Deshaun yeah. Bryant. Duncanville is not a... No. Not an easy spot for Baylor to land. They have not had a ton of success from that school, and a lot of that has to do with uh, recruiting from other schools, whether it's Texas or uh, outside the state school. So, yeah, it's going to be a battle for sure. But, uh, you know, good to at least get the, the positive PR and just the immediate impact of that pledge. And, you know, you get them, and it's, it's I think, probably easier to hold on to them than never getting the pledge to begin Definitely. with. So, yeah. uh, big time there, and uh, we'll see what they do with that. But, yeah, now two members of the 25 class and two additional members of the 2024 class uh, in recruiting. And uh, I guess uh, let's... Is there anything else really to hit recruiting-wise? I mean, is there anything, as the season starts up, is there anything to really know about kind of how this is going to unfold moving forward? Well, I think I think it's probably good to just kind of mention a couple things. So Dylan Hip committed to Ole Miss. He was kind of still out there for the 2024 class. He came down between Baylor and Ole Miss. I had reported a week ago that he was going to choose Ole Miss. Um, that's just where he ended up you know, making his decision and that, he just felt like that was the best fit for him. Um, so it's a miss for sure for Baylor, but they're still in on Roger Saliapaga, who's a great tight end prospect slash kind of an outside receiver prospect from Utah. Uh, he's got offers from everyone, though. We're talking you're going to be battling Alabama if you're going to land him. So he's still out there. Uh, Josh Lair, who's looking at Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, uh, LSU. Again, another battle for a four-star prospect. And then... One more prospect out of London. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Daniel Akinkunmi um, out of the NFL Academy. He set up an official visit to Oklahoma for the first weekend of September. He took his official visit to Baylor at the end of June. Uh, he is kind of he is the only target Baylor has right now on the offensive line. They really, really want him to kind of round out the the class on the offensive line. Um, but again. He's taking his official visit to Oklahoma the first week of September. He just got an offer from Miami. I think more offers are coming, whether it's from Penn State or Clemson. This is going to be a battle to try to land him, but right now I would consider Baylor the favorite um, to land the big prospect from London. So that's kind of where they're at right now. I'd say 2024, they're still evaluating prospects. I think you know some of the class will probably be rounded out by new offers that come out during the season, uh, but they're in a pretty good spot right now, I would say, with their commitments. Yeah, I just wanted to hit reset a little bit because yeah. now it's going to change with them actually having games. They're going to be hosting guys. There's going to be a lot of activity with people taking official visits and all that kind of stuff, and unofficial visits as well. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of activity uh, now that football is – returning um so there we are with uh, recruiting but a pretty busy week and successful week for the baylor coaching staff all right uh, let's touch quickly on basketball uh foreign trips for both the men's and women's teams they are overseas and taking part in some exhibition games i know you wanted to touch on the men's team a, a little bit yeah just quickly they're in what france right now playing a bunch of games against really good competition and i think just kind of everything that I've heard and seen over the summer. You know, you're seeing Ray J. Dennis, uh, the transfer from Toledo, really come into his own as a point guard, as a floor general. Um, I think that people are going to be very surprised by what they see from him when the season does come around. 
And I think for different reasons, he's going to be a better player than LJ Cryer was for Baylor last year. And I think he's going to bring more as far as playmaking and defense goes. He's just finally a true floor general, I think, uh, for this Baylor basketball team. Outside of him, Jacoby Walter continues to shoot the basketball at a very high level. Um, Elite catch-and-shoot guy. And that's something that Keontae is a great player. And Keontae is going to, I think, have a good NBA career. But the one thing Keontae did not do last year was catch and shoot three-pointers. Everything was off the dribble. And that just really hampers your offense. And that happened far too many times last year. Walter's just going to be a catch and shoot guy. He can really, really shoot the basketball. Great frame at right around 6'6", 180 pounds. And he's also going to be a great defensive guy as well. I, I think... You've seen multiple mocks that have come out. He's got a shot at being like top 10, maybe even a top five pick in the NBA draft. He just fits what the NBA is looking for uh, nowadays. And then finally, uh, Eves Missy. He's awesome. Another freshman who's going to come in and provide rim protection for this team. I think ultimately he, he'll he be the starter uh, for Baylor at center. I think he's going to take over that role and really run with it. Very athletic, very bouncy. Finally, someone that Baylor can have at the center position that I think is actually a difference maker. And, you know, everyday John was that till he got hurt. But last year, you know, you saw it with Flo just not really being a true difference maker for them and having major liabilities. I think Eve's Missy gives them something that they really, really need. And so those are the three guys I really wanted to hit on. Ultimately, they're looking really good so far uh, on their French trip. And, you know, we'll have more notes as it, as time kind of progresses. But I like what I'm seeing from them, and I, I think they're going to have a really good year. Yeah, it seemed like yeah, in their first game and win, I guess uh, Jacoby Walter had a, a pretty nice showing. So it's yeah. always good to see with uh, him, obviously, Expected to play a pretty massive role this year uh, as a star freshman. And uh, as you mentioned, a lot of other things going on to take note of. And uh, you will find no better Baylor basketball coverage than what Ashley and crew do over on uh, Sikkim365.com uh, with the premium section. Uh, he's all over the map, literally, with the, with the team and, and the insider notes and, and Kindle and uh, various others uh, do a great job with basketball. All right, let's get into a mailbag here and uh, cover uh, a lot of bases with some of these questions. Big Cheese 83, how will your opinion of Jeff Grimes change at this season? We have an excellent rushing attack, but the passing game fails to make any serious progress from last year. I mean, as long as they're winning games, I mean, if their rushing attack is excellent and like truly elite, then I mean, they're probably going to be an eight or nine win team just with that. I mean, if, if you're saying excellent, like, the best in the Big 12, then yeah, you're probably like a, you know, an eight-win team. So all you need is the passing game to just be serviceable. But I guess if you're saying the passing game just completely holds them back, they fall off the rails, can't you know complete passes, they're turning the ball over, then yeah, you know, I'll have I'll have to sit back and evaluate that. But I didn't see anything last year again that really made me question Jeff Grimes. I think he's a great offensive mind, and I think they're really going to benefit from another year and adding more talent to the offense. Yeah, I mean, it depends. It could be a talent issue, right? I mean, I think uh, there's probably some skewed expectations of the passing game as a result, and I'm just guessing here of like Zach Wilson's success a couple of years ago yeah. and thinking like, oh, that, you know, Shapin should be out there just throwing it around, throwing dimes and all of that. And that's <laughs> definitely not what we've seen. Uh, so I don't know. I think you would, it would need to matter how that's unfolding. You know, is it a coaching issue or is it a performance issue? Um, because those are two entirely different things ultimately. Uh, so, 
Um, if there's an excellent running game and they're like, look, winning's all that matters. So if they're winning games and the offense isn't holding them back from doing that, I don't think it really matters how that gets done um, in, in this case. So if it's through an excellent running game, then great. Um, but if they're losing, it doesn't really matter how it's happening. That That's going to bring the heat, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the wins and losses matter to me at least more than the how they actually perform – actually – uh, focus on offense, whether it's right. the run or the pass. Um, thank you, Big Cheese. Scotty B. the Baylor King over under 10.5 bowl game teams for the Big 12 this season. Uh, I guess let's start there. Yeah, I've, I've been yeah, trying to. I'm going to, under, buddy. Uh, ten, are, so okay. I'm not even looking at the list. I'm, ten and a half, so that's a lot of teams making a bowl game. Yeah, I'm, I'll go under on that. Yeah, I'm kind of, I based on my predicting this season, I'm I'm probably with you but there are i think i have what one two three four five six seven eight i got like 10 teams kind of right there so i guess i got to take the under since i i'm not quite at 11 yeah so yeah. 11 teams out of 14 that's yeah. that's quite a bit and uh you know okay say uh you don't believe in houston or you don't believe in west virginia or you don't believe in like Iowa State, with Iowa their State, stuff. but like yeah. so, Cincinnati's making it, UCS making it. Yeah. We're all just assuming the news. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That that's that's a little too high for me. Ten I think and a half. Ten. I think ten's the number that for I would me. max out for at. Yeah. yeah, that I would max out at would be ten. So yeah, no to that question, Scotty B. The Baylor or under to that question. Also, how much of an impact on recruiting do you think it will be for Washington State, Stanford, Oregon State, and California? Uh, going forward, assuming that they don't get into a power conference. I mean, massive. And uh, that remains a, a question for them uh, at this moment. It does. Yeah, I mean, that's going to crush them for sure. I think Stanford. Stanford, not as has, much. Yeah, yeah, they have their, you know, benefits academically. And, you know, we'll see how that plays out. If they end up in the Mountain West, though, that's not, I mean, that's not great. I think um, they'd end up independent before they ended up in Mountain West. Yeah, yeah. Stanford, at least, but we'll see. Yeah, so, I, I mean, they're going to get hit by this. There's no doubt. It's going to impact recruiting because it impacts stability at the schools and but it impacts they, your level. But unlike the other ones, they don't recruit the same type of no. uh, players. Uh, you know, a lot of that is already different for them. Um, obviously, you could lose a few guys based on, you know, them being interested in playing Washington and Oregon every year. There might be a couple of guys, but ultimately you're looking for the Stanford guy anyways, and the others right. are still pretty much – I mean, they're looking for academics uh, sort of, but they're basically looking for the guys that Baylor's looking for and Oklahoma's looking mm-hmm. for and, and so on. Stanford's a little bit different in that regard. It is, but I think like Washington State and Oregon State, you're kind of hoping that well, they're you're – screwed. Yeah, you're kind of hoping you're – going to be around Boise State like and that's not even a guarantee even when they've been in the Pac-12 so it's like what's that going to look like in the Mountain West I don't know I yeah I mean it's going to hurt them in the budget their recruiting budget's going to go way down as well yeah and uh you know in Washington State's case they've already got a lot of money that they owe for for expenditures uh, you know upgrading facilities things like that expecting that more money would be coming like it naturally has and and now they suddenly realize like oh my gosh Where's the money coming from here moving forward? Yeah. And uh, once we find out where it's coming from, is it going to be anywhere close to what it was even? And so, yeah, that's that's a scary proposition that they face at the moment. I know that Kirk Schultz uh, from Washington State did an interview with Pete Thamel. I'm looking forward to reading it after. And obviously he's pretty upset about the way everything has unfolded. So I think Stanford's in the best shape. Uh, but Washington State, Oregon State, certainly in the roughest shape depending on how this unfolds. And we'll see with Cal. Darth Mellon, 25 class, off to a good start. How many wins do you think Baylor needs this season to ensure this is Aranda's top class 
It is my opinion that if we can start stacking good seasons together, Baylor can reach a new level in recruiting. I mean, I think nine or ten wins, this probably will end up being Aranda's top class in 2025 because they're actually going to have the spots available to do that. So I'd probably say somewhere around there, I guess, you know, wins don't always mean that you're going to have immediate rewards, but I will say that it it does feel like it's trending in that direction, that they just need to prove they can win games again um, this year, and then they'll be able to reach that level. I, You know, we talk about this, you know, mentioning that Baylor can reach a new level in recruiting. I I just, a a lot of this is going to come down to what the national recruiting ranking people, the rankings that they give them. That's the hardest part, right? The 2023 class is really, really good. Like, Baylor's going to see Baylor fans are going to see immediate rewards from that class, but it still wasn't ranked that highly. And that's because you're just going off opinions of guys who just rank blue blood guys higher. And that's just kind of naturally how the system works, sadly. But all I care about is NIL value. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's just <laughs> it, it's hard to predict that Baylor can reach a new level. I've been under I don't think Baylor can get higher than maybe one class could get like right around top 15 but in general like Baylor just needs to be somewhere between 20 and 35 every single year really you want to be 20 and 30 every single year and if they do that they can compete with anyone in my well almost anyone in my opinion like that's enough talent to kind of close the gap yeah I think uh they've got some work to do in that regard in this year's class uh they're only at 14 pledges but they're like in the 60s or like the 50s, I think, uh, like they're top 60. They're way behind. And yeah, yeah, like I don't know how that changes all that much because everybody else is going to be adding players too. So, Well, they're not taking a big class and then they got a bunch of guys who don't even have a ranking, a bunch of guys who, in my opinion, need some ranking updates. But again, that's just kind of where it's like agree to disagree and Baylor's going to take the guys they need. They feel like they need to win, but people aren't going to love that if there's not a you know, five-star next to a guy's name. Well, I mean, I think they're fine as long as you're winning. But when right. you have last year's record mm-hmm. and then you turn around, you got like a top 60 class, it's like you better see something on the field with this, sure. this upcoming season. And that's where if there is a middle-of-the-road type of, you know, uh, run again, that's when you start to get a little bit concerned because now it's like, all right, where, where's this going where your your classes are only going to start dipping even further if you're not winning big? Like, you have to win big to recruit big at Baylor. Like, yep. that's... It's pretty simple, and they started to do that because they were stacking those years on top of each other, and they haven't been able to, because of coaching changes and whatnot, been able to stack like three, four, five years in a row for a while now, like since everything really went to, to hell, uh, you know, years back. So um, that's something that's been elusive, and, and that's really the only way to, to consistently be in that mix. And, and right now they're kind of just in no man's land, and that's why you see a class that's falling a six and seven season in the in the 50s. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's some of that's the eye of the beholder. Uh, and you trust the staff or you don't uh, as far yeah. as their evaluations go. Uh, why hasn't uh, – this is from Bear in the Big Greenhouse. Why hasn't Jackie Marshall been practicing? I think Injury. you touched on that earlier. Mm-hmm. Injury. Yeah. yeah. Uh, see, Mittness from the first videos and pictures of fall camp. Feel like guys look noticeably bigger than years prior. Have you seen that at practice? Did Vic Valoria change a philosophy for this season? I feel like this is always a reaction to fall camp yeah. as he's like everybody – looks bigger and stronger and every year it's like that um but there have been years where it's like maybe not as noticeable but i do think that when they showed up uh two years ago for the big 12 run it's like oh wow they do look a little more grown up i haven't obviously been out there have you noticed that or is that just a natural like this is a new year and everybody looks better because it's a new year 
I would say there's kind of a couple parts to this. First one is recruiting. Baylor has recruited guys who are very big, especially on the defensive line. The, last year's class was massive as far as how many defensive linemen they took, and they took offensive linemen as well. So you're kind of seeing that, right? You're seeing all these new faces that are just massive. I mean, like Brendan Beck comes in, and he's 6'5", 298 pounds. It's like as a true freshman. So you don't see many guys like that. So seeing that was a big part of it. Um and I think because of how their class tended to be more trending towards the lines, I think you see a lot a lot more bigger guys out there, right? And then as far as other positions go, I think there were some guys that they really wanted to add more weight to. When you think about, you know, Matt Jones or Mike Smith, you know, the linebacking core in general, they wanted those guys to weigh a lot more. I think the receivers look a lot thicker than they did last year, um, which kind of speaks to the whole creating yards after a catch, and also getting better at contested catches. I think we're seeing that as well. Uh, but outside of that, I don't think it's a huge philosophy change outside of those few positions. Um, I, I don't, And then I think it's the recruiting side of things, honestly. All right. Uh, appreciate the question there. Just a bear in a frog world, would you rather be in the SEC or the Big 12 if you were Baylor? Uh, SEC all day long uh, because of the money. Uh, simple as that. Not even it doesn't even matter the matchups or the trips or any of that. Just simply the security of the money. I say yes to that. Yeah, this is not even a question. Yeah. It's the SEC. I like the culture of the Big Twelve. That's great. Yeah, but I also like that the fact that the SEC is not reaching around trying to get West Coast teams to their conference. Like they've been able to really keep their conference very localized. Like they have their their main point, their main targets when. Whatever happens to the ACC, they're going to continue to be the Southeastern Conference. And I think think that's actually pretty cool that they've been able to do that. Baylor Bear 2022 is Johnny Carter update. Uh, we covered that earlier in the podcast. Yeah, I'll just mention really quick once again, I believe that he will be on campus soon. He will be practicing sometime during fall camp. And once again, the Baylor coaching staff expected this. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Again, nothing that I've heard I haven't heard anything that means there's a setback or anything like that. Bear sack. I would have to think that many players, the four pack schools left behind would want to look for P four homes. Is there any chance of late portal additions? No. Mm, yeah. I mean, you could say maybe, but I haven't seen a lot of movement on the transfer portal side in the no. last couple of weeks. They passed on a few guys, didn't really go out and recruit them hard. So they're, right now I they're in the pack this year. Yeah. Like there's yeah. those guys, what are they leaving for? They're going to play this final year in the pack and play Oregon and Washington, potentially depending on whose schedule you're talking about and, uh, and be a part of this final run. It's just, it's far too late to expect yeah. anybody significant to jump in the portal, get recruited, jump over to a team, learn all their ways of doing things. It's just, it would be very messy and it's just way late. So, uh, highly unlikely, um, yeah. would, is what I would say there. Sikkim, Kentucky, if you had to take one team from the SEC, one team from the Big Ten, and replace two teams in the Big 12, including recent additions, who would they be and why? So, I guess, are we counting, are Oklahoma and Texas still in the Big 12 at this moment? I don't know. Okay. Uh, let's just say they're in the SEC. They're in the SEC. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma would be the SEC one that I would want to keep in the Big 12. And then the Big 10 one that I would want to add. Few big brands in the Big Ten, huh? Um, well, dude, either way with Oklahoma and Texas, however you want to consider that, uh, give me Ohio State and uh, give me... Oklahoma for counting Big 12 teams or give me 
Alabama, or give me Alabama or Georgia if we're not counting the, the yeah, Big 12 teams. It, it would be... Give me the best. Right, right, the best. Give me the most money. Give me the five stars. Give me the best. Yeah, I do think that, you know, Michigan's probably sitting there like, well, we can make an argument. I, I tomato, get, tomato. Yeah, yeah. It'd probably be Oklahoma and Ohio State if we're going to say that Oklahoma's in the SEC. If not, then it would be Georgia. Like, if we're saying that Texas OU are still in the Big 12, then yeah, it'd be Georgia and Ohio State, I think, for me. Yeah, and uh, you could, again, oh, if you want to say LSU, fine. Like, uh, it's all the same right. thing. Yeah, right. LSU, Bama, Georgia, one of those yeah. three. Uh, and then Ohio State or Michigan. Yeah, Ohio yeah. State or Michigan. Uh, that's that's what you want. Uh, interesting question, though. Appreciate it. ZT Smith, 423. Do you think either could be true? Baylor has the number one rushing offense in the conference. Baylor has the number one defense in the conference. Appreciate you guys. And, man, we're so close to some football. And, ZT, uh, always appreciate you as well. And, yes, we are. Yeah, I think there's a greater chance that Baylor has the number one rushing offense in the conference. I I, I just I I like Baylor's defense, but I don't think it's going to be the number one defense in the league. I, whereas the rushing offense, I think it very well could be. I, I you'd almost call them the favorite for it at this moment, or at least favorite to be in the top, you know, four or five. Yeah, I think that they, if they're not in the top half of the uh, conference, that would be a miserable disappointment to the year, and you'd, you'd wonder what the heck went wrong if they're running attacks not in the top you know, five or so because that's where so much of the focus has lied and the confidence has lied. Um, I don't think that they could have the top defense in this conference. I just, I, I'm not a believer there. Uh, all due respect to Matt Pallage, but we're just talking about how many questions there are in the secondary alone, much less... You know, guys still not on campus and at important spots and so many newcomers. I just, I'm not putting a lot of stock in, in the number one defense, but I do think they could potentially have the number one rushing offense. I wouldn't bank on that, um, but that's the one that's far more realistic to me and, and could be true when all is said and done. Yeah, and to be clear, I do think they'll be top five in both. I would hope so, yeah. yeah. I, I would hope so. But, yeah, the defense is going to be, you know, again, it's a fascinating year. Don't know quite what to expect other than expect them to be in the postseason. And beyond that, I have no idea. Uh, expect a better team all the way around than we saw last year. Uh, and I think anything less than that would be awfully disappointing because, you know, what what are you going to possibly change that you haven't changed already? And, and if all the changes this past time didn't work, then what's really going wrong that you're still kind of middle of the road? Uh, for a second year in a row. Uh, Golden Green, per 247, Baylor sits at 11 out of 16 class rank and 13 out of 16 average recruit rating for the new Big 12 and 24. Rivals and on three look about the same. I know that certain players are underrated by the services, and this will be a smaller class. We're just talking about this. But perception is reality to a certain extent. Where do you think Baylor should land year in and year out in the recruiting hierarchy of the new conference moving forward? Thank you, Gold and Green. I mean, like I said, Baylor should finish somewhere between 20 and 35 pretty much every year in recruiting, which in my eyes probably puts you right inside like that top four, top five every single year in the Big 12. There's really no excuse to not be inside that group unless you're taking a really small class, in which case your class average should also be in the top five. So in the conference, something like that would be my expectation for Baylor going forward. You basically have to have that if you want to not just win the conference year in and year out or be a contender, but also compete nationally. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And I think, look, man, like UCF's had a huge week. Uh, they're already showing their potential. You know, Cincinnati's flexed its, flexed its muscles before. Um, when they went on their playoff run. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would think just with resources and commitment and things like that, you could say that about a lot of the schools and certainly the ones moving up. Like, they're as hungry as anybody. Like, they've invested as much as anybody to make these things happen. Um, and then, you know, the four newcomers, we will see 
how they are able to to chew up land and and take parts of Texas or whatever. But um, yeah, for Baylor, um, I think you know kind of what we talked about earlier of uh, and what you just said is 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 about reasonable expectations. Anything less than that's a little bit concerning. So we'll see. Um, this class is not the one to like circle and go. This is what they're always going to be. Or this is the average per se because it is a little wonky this year, but. Need to eye it and make sure it doesn't doesn't get too wonky because uh, you start getting sixties and seventies in recruiting rankings and that doesn't bode well. I don't care who your coach is; like right. you could have Saban and that's not going to end up in a lot of winning seasons. So yeah. um, that is something to keep an eye on. But going and winning a bunch of games this year would certainly uh, you know help matters and, and spice things up a bit. But ultimately, you trust the staff, you trust their evaluations more so than you trust whoever is assigned to go watch one of their new commits that nobody's really seen at a camp, you know, or, or the practice or whatever. So thank you for the questions, everybody. A lot of good stuff and can feel the anticipation for the season uh, and the, uh, the war drums starting up here. So very excited about what's to come. Look forward to checking out practice later on today. And uh, anything before we go here, Grayson? Uh, not a lot uh, outside of just if you're not a premium subscriber, Fall camp's rolling along. Be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium. If you want all kinds of news, notes uh, on the Baylor football team, Baylor basketball team is there in France. All kinds of new information is coming out every single day on the premium side. Um, also, be sure to check out 365 Sports Radio 3 to 6 on our YouTube channel. Lots of good content coming uh, as season's right around the corner. Yeah, and uh, we've had a busy summer with realignment and Still some aftershocks of that, but it seems like the Big 12 is kind of fat and happy for the time being, but you never know. And, uh, of course, a very fascinating season upcoming with the you know OU and Texas last ride, four new schools, and, and now the tease of you know the year beyond and four more schools that will be eventually joining the mix. But first, they've got their own sort of goodbye tour with four schools out of the Pac-12. So very interesting year upcoming for college football. Uh, in good and bad ways, probably, just based on the temperature of the room at any given moment. Uh, But appreciate everybody's questions. Appreciate Garrett Ross behind the scenes. And those of you watching on YouTube, uh, whether live or after the fact, uh, go download the Sikkim 365 app if you are an Apple user. Uh, Glad to have that back up and running where you can listen live to the show uh, and also check out all the various features on the website and all that comes with that as well. So for Apple users, definitely get on that, the Sikkim 365 app. And until next week, uh, man, a lot to... uh, discover and continue learning about this team but to look forward to your questions next time around have a good one this has been the bearcast on sikkim365.com